Well, well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He has taken it all away. He has forgiven us. Uh, what a position for us to be in, to gather here this morning and know what God has done for us. What a song of victory. What a song of rejoicing this really is, uh, to gather here this morning. You know, as I was thinking about that song all over again, um, having sung it in the first service, it just hit me with more powerful impact than the first time. What we are really singing about, that we are hidden in Christ. He has rescued us. He has forgiven us. He has taken our sin away. He has empowered us with the presence of His Holy Spirit. Which leads me to uh, comment this morning about the frustrations of the Christian life. We have all of this as the reality of our lives, and frankly, I'm sure most of us are are wondering, why is it then that, that for the most part, we are not sinning less as people, we are struggling with our relationships, we are not treating people as we ought to treat them, and we have all of this from Christ. Why is it that we are, uh, in fact, struggling so much to benefit and appropriate all that Jesus Christ has done for us, whether you look from the outside into the church or you look from the inside among us, there is much frustration. And this is not just about feeling that I'm talking about this morning, I'm talking about real facts. Ed Stetzer, in his recent work entitled uh, Future Trends in Evangelicalism, states this, the greatest gap in Christianity is between what people say and what they do. Now, I don't have to tell you, I'm pretty sure, uh, what that leads to, but for sure it leads to carnage in the next generation. And a a recent study done by the uh, Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and Youth for Christ Canada, uh, entitled Hemorrhaging Faith, determined that uh, at best, our retention rate in Christianity in Canada for the next generation is about 34%. And of that 34% that will be retained, they will only gather to worship one or two times a month. The best we can hope for. And I would submit that that's the look into the future unless there are grand changes that happen in our behavior. And I want to propose to you this morning that the Word of God uh, challenges us and the presence of God's Spirit enables us and empowers us to live differently than the people around us and to, in fact, step it up as believers So I want to ask you a question this morning of several questions I want to ask. And the first is this. What's your plan to live differently from those people who don't have Jesus Christ? Because quite honestly, and I think you're weary of it as well, I'm tired of people saying to me, I don't know about Christianity. Christians don't seem to be any different than anybody else. They have the same kinds of sin problems. They have the same kinds of of statistical issues in their lives, in their marriages, in their relationships as everybody else does. I'm really tired of hearing about that. Tired, not so much as I don't want to hear it anymore, as grieved in my heart to hear that. Surely there must be something that Christ wants that's more than that for us. That, That Christ died... To make, it, to, to make it possible for our lives to be different. Our witness and our worship are suffering because our discipleship is weak. So why is it that Christians sin so much? And why is it that we soil our relationships like everybody else around us? 
I think there are two major reasons, and they're found in, in the Galatians text that we've been studying. And the first is this. Too many of us try to fix our flesh with religious ceremonies and personal effort. That's the first challenge. And in fact, that's one of the challenges that the Apostle Paul addresses to the Galatians. You're trying to fix your flesh with your own personal effort, which excludes Jesus Christ from the formula. It wasn't necessary for Christ to die on the cross if we could fix our flesh. But that's what scads of us, hundreds and thousands of us try to do, is to fix our own flesh through religious ceremony and personal effort. And then we wonder why our lives are filled with sin and our relationships are gone awry. It just won't work. And the second is we fuel our flesh by misusing freedom to cut loose. Those are the two possibilities that would, I think, explain why Christians are sinning as much as non-Christians and why our relationships are going south as much as everybody else is. One of those two reasons, we are trying to fix our own flesh with our own personal effort, or we are just simply fueling our flesh by taking our freedom that we think we have in Christ and we think we understand in Christ and just cutting loose in our life. Think, hey, listen, I got saved. I'm on my way to heaven. It really doesn't matter how I live between then and, and then. It absolutely matters how you live. In fact, that's the urgency of the book of Galatians and for that matter, all of the books of the Bible. It matters how we live. It matters that we, what we believe and it matters that our beliefs match with what we live, how we live. And that's the study that's being demonstrated is we say we, we believe one thing and we're living absolutely a different way. That's not what Christ died for. So how do we tame both our, our sin and our addiction to our own significance? That's what's really at issue here. How do we do that? In Galatians chapter 6, if you would open up your Bible, or Galatians chapter 5, if you would open up, although I want to touch on a couple of other texts as well in the, in the Galatians text, there's an overriding message that the Apostle Paul seeks to bring to the Galatians to answer this question. How do I not do that? How do I not try to fix my flesh or try to simply just fuel my flesh? What do I need to do? And the overriding statement, I think, that grows out of the, the book of Galatians in particular is to, that we are to fight our flesh with our freedom. We don't fix it with our personal effort, and we don't fuel our flesh. We fight our flesh with our freedom in Christ. You're saying, I've been trying to do that. Now, either Christ doesn't work, or I'm missing something. I just don't know what to do. I would su suggest to you that it's the latter and not the former. Christ works. If this isn't working in your life, it's not Christ's problem or his fault. It has to do with our understanding of what we have in Christ and missing the point. And so I want to, I want to remind you that, that, um, that three big chains have been broken in our life. We really sang about them just a few moments ago. Those three big chains that have been broken in our life set us as in a distinct spiritual space from everybody else in the world. It, it gives us an advantage spiritually to live this life in a way that pleases God 
in, in a most amazing way. And let's not forget what these three big chains that have been broken in your life are all about. I'll keep reminding you over the weeks, I don't want you to ever not know this. The first big chain that's been broken is the enslavement on your life of sin. You are no longer, once you came to know Christ, once he came into your life and you gave your life to his, you are no longer enslaved by sin. Galatians 3.22 and found in many other places as well. Secondly, you are no longer addicted to yourself. You can find that in Galatians 5 verse 17. And you have been freed from Satan's power to master you or to be over you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. These are the three major, big-time chains that had you enslaved, that had you in bondage, that had you unable to live in any possible way to please God. Now, all of those, by way of salvation, by way of what Christ did, his victory of the cross, took all of those chains and ripped them off your life. Now, that puts you in a spiritual strata that sets you apart from all the other peoples of the world in terms of living in a way to please God. That's your starting point. That's your raw material base. That's, that's where ground zero is. You're starting with freedom from sin, freedom from addiction to yourself, and freedom from Satan. That's an amazing hallelujah moment, you know. It's a great praise the Lord moment. That's what he's done for us. Now, in light of that, you've been freed from all of this stuff, but not just freed from it, but freed from it that you might live for. And so um, we, we've, we learned a few weeks ago in, in Galatians 3, 26 through 28, that not only have been freed from all of that, but we've been freed to live by faith in Christ. He's enabled us, empowered us to do that. We've been freed to clothe ourselves with Christ. It's all found in Galatians 3, 26 to 28. We've been freed to put on a uniform of Jesus every day of our lives. Now think for a moment what that would look like as you walk around and how you relate to people, how you relate to your coworkers, the people in your family, the people in your neighborhood, the people in this church. If, if not only were we putting our suits on and our, our clothing, but we were putting on Jesus Christ. We've been enabled to do that. We've been invited to do that. We, by faith, have been granted that. Not only that, but we've been uh, granted the, uh, the enablement and empowerment to be at one with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And finally, the fourth major thing that we've been given just in that small text is we've been given the power, the energy, the authority, and the right to belong to Christ. Now, you put all those seven things together, the chains that are gone and the privileges that you've been granted, that sets us in a high, high spiritual strata as a starting point. And it builds from there. So why are we sinning so much? Why are our relationships so polluted? Why do the people look at us and not notice anything different about us than the people who are lost around us? There are two commands that I want you to notice as we read this text together in Galatians chapter 5. I just want to read three verses with you this morning and camp there for a few moments and, and then we'll gather together around the Lord's table. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 to 15, we've been over this before, but it, uh, we haven't looked at the, there's two commands and I want you to know what they are even before I mention them because they're staring at you. 
And by the way, verse 13 should begin with the word but. It may in some of your translations because it's demonstrating a contrastive to all that's been stated by those who were attacking the gospel right before. And it's saying, you are not like these people. You are not like the ones who feed their flesh with riotous living. You are not like those who try to fix their flesh with, through personal effort. You are not like them. You've been called to something different. And so he writes this, but you, my brothers and my sisters, were called to be free. Not to try and fix yourself anymore out of your personal effort. That didn't work for you. You couldn't do that. And not to just set yourself and cut yourself loose. No, you were called to be free. And here's the kind of freedom we're talking about. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another by love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Now, I have news for you. It's old news. And it is this, that people in churches bite and devour each other. That's why, in fact, Paul's writing about this. He's writing to a church. And he's saying, stop doing this. Stop biting and devouring each other. And so we have in this context a challenge through two commands, one negative, one positive, about what we're supposed to be doing. And so I want to dig into that with you this morning for a few moments as we look at this in a fresh way, hopefully. And by the way, these are commands. I, I'm, I'm putting on the notes here that these are two victory strategies, but they're not, they're not strategies in the sense that you, 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 know, you have a strategic planner come in and say, this would be really good if we did this. You know, we could really advance the cause of, uh, of our business model if we put this strategy in place. Uh, th- th- this isn't what our commanding officer in heaven is giving to us. He's not giving to us a strategic idea that might be nice if we embraced. He's saying this is a command. You know, and on, re- on a Remembrance Day Sunday where we're thinking about military and all of that, when a commanding officer gives a command, you don't say, well, that's a really nice suggestion and a really nice strategy, but I'm not sure we're really, you know, we'll sort of, deliberate on that one and see. No, it's like you do it. And, and, and there's no expectation of anything different in the word of God that when our commanding high officer in heaven, the Lord of glory, the Lord of creation, the one who made you, the one who bought you uh, at a, a tremendous price through the uh, shed blood of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to own you, when that one says, this is what you do, it's not up for a committee debate. This is something you determine in your heart right now to enact in my life. I'm enacting this in my life. When I read this, this is going in my life. And by God's power and his presence, he will uh, bring it to life in your life. And this is the only way to live in a way that pleases God. And so what you have here, I think, overriding in this uh, one um, negative and one positive command is this. I summarize it this way, the three verses. You have been freed from you. So don't use your freedom for you. Use it to lovingly serve another. That's, that is the core of these three verses. And I want to break it down into the two commands and then we'll be done. In other words, and I think this should be the vision statement of your life, you're called to be free from yourself, not freed for yourself. 
Think about that for a second if you actually live like that. Called to be free from yourself, not freed for yourself. Is it not true that fundamentally our sin and our relationship garbage is basically about us wanting something for ourselves? Or it's about me being affronted or whatever. It's, it's always, it's about me. And I know that we're living in a time where, you know, especially in church, it's kind of kitschy to say this. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And, and, you know, many of us are starting, that kind of wording is starting to wear off on us because we're hearing it so often where it's become one of those things like I'm not even hearing it anymore. By the way, you know what? I'm losing my voice. You know why I'm losing my voice? When I go away and drive in long distance by myself, I, I let it rip. I put on the CD, <laughs> and I had, like, Clay Cross, Steve. I had, like, a Clay Cross, like, praise the Lord kind of CD. And, and this guy sings high. And I was trying to, like, sing with him, do some harmony with him and all that, and, like, be there. And I'm letting it rip. And, and today, like, I used to, when, you, when people drive by and you're, like, ripping, singing away, and, and they're looking at you like, there's an, idiot, there's an idiot in the car there driving. I'm going to get like, some room, you know. But now people think, well, maybe he's just talking on his cell phone, you know, that he's stuck. So, so you can kind of get away with it more now. So I'm letting it rip even in crowds of traffic, you know. And, and uh, I think I'm paying the price for it. But um, anyway, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, it's not about me. It's not about me. <laughs> you see what I mean? Like, you see what I'm telling you? Like, I don't even think about it anymore. It is about me. It's all about me. Anyway... It's not, this, this thing about me is, it, it, we can't let this go by us without really stopping and pausing all over again and realize that truly the text of the scripture is that. It is not about me. And if we will find the place where it's not about me because God has set us free to be there, it'll make a radical shift in all of our living, in our sin, in our relationships, in all of that. And so I, I want to point out to you that the first neg- the negative command here is do not misuse. It says do not use your freedom to indulge your flesh. What's that mean? It, it really means do not misuse the salvation freedom that you've been granted. And the word indulge there could be used as springboard. Don't use it as a springboard to just leap into, into whatever. In other words, don't take the fact that you've been saved and you're destined for heaven and now there's all this space in between and I can do just whatever I want to. If you try to do that, you're going to have a lot of sin in your life and you're going to have a lot of relationship carnage. That's what this really means here. Don't use it as a springboard. Don't use your freedom for that. Think about that. And I want to give you just a couple of practical examples of what he's really talking about here. Christians should not be the kind of people who are addicted to a good time rather than redeeming the time. That's not who we are. We're about people who are, are called by God to be stewards of our time. Do you realize that there are, there are, are regular vast numbers of Christians who are, who are entertaining themselves into exhaustion? Do you know that the reason that some of these pews are empty this morning is because some people who are connected with our church here who say they love Jesus exhausted themselves so much in entertainment last night that they couldn't pull themselves out of bed to come to church this morning and worship him. That's precisely what this means. Do not use your freedom to indulge your flesh, to make a springboard into living a life that embarrasses the Lord Jesus Christ. It also states here, it also means here that, that we can't, because we've been liberated from an enslavement to sin and rescued from the mastery of Satan and, and rescued from the addiction of, uh, to ourselves, we can't get the idea that we should think that sin is no big deal. 
that sin has lost its sting. I want to tell you something about sin. I think I know about sin. I think most of us know about sin. Sin is like a Lay's potato chip. You know what I'm talking about? What am I talking about? Huh? Baby, you can't eat just one Lay's chip. I had a, I had a, a, a bag of chips that I took on my trip, a bag of salt and vinegar chips, because the Americans, they don't, they don't generally have salt and vinegar, although they're getting into it. For Bronwyn, because, you know, she's just dying for salt and vinegar chips, and it's in the back seat, and I'm thinking, I want those chips. But I knew, I knew that if I opened that bag and ate even one of those, those chips, she wasn't going to have one lick. So I, I restrained myself. That's what you have to do with sin. You, you can't, you can't, you can't t- dabble in it. You can't touch any of it, because sin multiplies itself. It fuels itself. It reproduces itself. It just wants more sin. That's what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7, verse 8 and 11. You can read it yourself. Sin begets sin. It just causes more to happen. There are people in the Christian context in our church who think that you can live a life that's unspiritual and expect spiritual outcomes. They think that they can live in any fleshly way they want. They can cut loose and say whatever they want. They can give full rage to their emotions and and do whatever they want in their relationships and and just let it rip and and get spiritual results out of that. You can't live in a spiritual way and get spiritual results. It just doesn't work that way. You can't indulge the flesh and expect to be spiritual. Marcus Boltman in um, his writings mentioned this that too many of us are trying to seize life by our power for our purposes and missing the truth that life is a gift of the Creator. There shouldn't be a Christian who misses this point. We are not people who live according to our power or according to our purposes. We are people who have been called by our amazing Creator God and given this precious gift of life. And the person who joins that journey with us, our spouse that God gives us, if God gives us a spouse, is a joint heir in that precious gift of life together. And we are to live like that, not for our purposes, not as if I own my life, but as if my creator God, who gives me every breath to breathe, is the one who has granted me this amazing gift of life. Aren't you excited about the gift of life? The gift of life together, the gift of life with... Listen, if you become a grandfather, you're going to be excited about the gift of life. I'm excited about the gift of life. And then we fight for me rather than submitting to Christ. Stop fighting for yourself, for your rights, for what you think you should be entitled to, for how you were affronted by someone. Come on. We are called to submit to Christ. That's the reason that lost people live like they do because they can't live any other way than that. But we have something so much more spectacular. And so they indulge their flesh because they're empty. And I can tell you if we're honest with ourselves in the Christian context, far too many of us have made a claim to embrace Jesus Christ as our Savior but we are operating in the Christian setting with our spiritual tanks running on empty. So we are indulging our flesh enslaved because we are empty. We are full of activity. 
We are full of declarations about what we believe. But our, our true self has no authenticity to it. And I'm telling you, I know for sure that God wants better than that for you. Jesus Christ did not go to the cross and die so that you would be left empty. He went to the cross and died on the cross and rose again and gave you his Holy Spirit so that you would be full. And so that brings us to the second command here. The second difference maker in our life. The first difference maker is don't even think about indulging your flesh. Don't think about it as a springboard to feed you. Rather, here's the second part of the command, and it's a command on its own. Rather, and this is a difference maker, serve one another by love. Timothy George, in his book in Galatians, writes this, true freedom is realized only in the slavery of love. That's what this freedom we're called to is all about. When I say to you that I think the overriding reality is fight your flesh with your freedom... It's all about the freedom that has been granted to us to love in Christ. Clarity for me was, uh, there's clarity for me uh, was brought to my attention by um, some of the writings of John Piper in this particular area. And I, had, I submit some of his ideas here. And, and one is this, the freedom you've been called to is a spiritual fullness that comes from genuine faith in Christ. When Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5, verse 5, um, we are waiting for this great hope. The hope that we've been waiting for is the righteousness. That is a reference to Jesus Christ, the perfect, sinless Son of God, who moved into our lives, permanently indwelling us, giving us a spiritual capacity that goes beyond our wildest imagination. And it is so that in this call to serve one another by love. It can only occur, it can only happen by a supernatural touch of God in your life. In fact, I, what I understand that text to be referring to is that we serve one another by the fullness of God's love. And um, only the freed, only those who are truly freed in Christ can live in a way and love in a way that pleases God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is a text familiar to most of you because it's used in a lot of weddings and it's not really, shouldn't be, shouldn't be restricted to a wedding text. This is far more broad, broad text than that. But you know what it says there. If I speak with the tongues of angels and have not love, I am what? A sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. If I prophesy and preach and proclaim all kinds of things and know all kinds of things about theological things about God, but have not love, I've really accomplished nothing. And then it says in the text there, in this act of love, which most of us would think, wow, that's a huge sacrificial love. It says there, if I give my body to the flames and give all that I possess to the poor, but have not love, I gain nothing. That's talking about absolute martyrdom for some sort of cause and, and a complete willingness to give everything I have charitably. So you're telling me that that charity and that act of complete sacrifice would not even be deemed loving by God or possibly would not be deemed loving by God? Yes. 
that in fact, um, right-wing zealots and left-wing bleeding hearts who are full of activity on behalf of other people but do not bring with them and because of, uh, do not bring this act because of the love of God, in no way please God. And so this, in fact, those people who are speaking with the, the, uh, the, the sounds of the, the language of angels or whatever, or those who are prophesying and know all things and study and know all things, those who give their lives sacrificially are for the most part, if they don't have God's love, are doing it on the basis of their emptiness. They're seeking to fill themselves in some way with activity and action. And God says, it's just not going to count. It won't work. You'll run out. You'll be exhausted. You'll have no reservoir to continue on. Rather, the teachings of the scriptures, the teachings of Christianity, are not operating out of emptiness, but rather operating out of fullness. Slavery is having to fill emptiness. And the vast majority, even within the body of Christ, the vast majority of activity is based on our emptiness, not on our fullness in Christ. That's why we try to prop up our flesh. That's why we could so easily run away and indulge our flesh. Because we're not functioning from the fullness of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm just going to tell you what we have to do today. I'm not going to tell you how, I'm not going to, tell you how to do it. Because that's a whole other sermon. And I'm saving that till next week. Because I want you to come back. And, I, and there's, as I said this morning, there's nothing you can... You can't pry this thing out of me. You can't bribe me or pay, pay me to tell you how this morning. I'm only going to tell you what the Bible says to do. The Bible says, stop indulging your flesh. And the Bible says, start loving your brother and sister. But by the way, he takes it to another level in the text. So the question that you have to face as we wind this down, in your loving or your living, are you filling emptiness or overflowing from fullness? That's the question you should be asking yourself. Genuine love from the fullness of real faith in living Christ wants for others what it has for itself. And he ups the stakes by reminding us that the command is to love our neighbor as ourself. If you want to understand the standard of what this love is all about, that's the standard. Now think about this. You who, just, who, you who thought you were being sacrificial. The standard of loving your neighbor as yourself means you want for your neighbor what you have for yourself. That changes your whole life. The, 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 the call of God here is that, that I want people to have the love that I have. So when I look at someone, I have to grant them that, the kind of compassion and care that I hope that I have. I hope that I receive. When I look at someone without, I, I'm, I'm looking at them saying, well, I really should be hoping that they have what I have. That, that changes the whole nature of Generosity. Or when I, when I look at someone, I, I say, I want them to have the faith that I have. When I, look at, when I drive onto my street and I look up and down at those houses, if I love my neighbor as myself, I want all of those neighbors to have what I have, have the faith that I have. It gives me a new evangelistic fervor and zeal. 
When I look at people around me, I, I, I say, I want them to have the same opportunities that I have. And so I look for ways to make sure that people around me are granted the same opportunities that I have. To me, that's what loving your neighbor as yourself is really implying. In fact, I think that's what it means in the text when it says that this is the faith that expresses itself through love is all about. When we're looking at how to please God, that's what he, that's what he means. That's what he expects. See, religious empty people fill themselves with form and ritual. Irreligious empty people fill themselves with booze and drugs and sex and stuff. Guilty people fill themselves with charity. But the only thing that counts to God is faith expressing itself through Jesus' love to others as we love ourselves. And he says at the very end that the problem in the church is cannibalism. For the most part, people are filling their emptiness by beating up on each other and eating them. He says if you keep devouring each other, you're going to get destroyed yourself. The picture there is like two snakes eating each other's tail. You, if you can picture that munching around, so it's just like two heads and that's it. They just munch each other and destroy each other. That's it. So you're saying this morning, you know what? Um, okay, this love thing, am I, do I have to love every single person in this church? Because that's a tall order. No, you know what? I'll give you a dispensation. There's two or three people you don't like. That's okay. Do you think that's, do you, do you think that's what God thinks here or means here? You know, when, um, when Jesus himself defined Christians, he said, people will know you how? By your love for one another. That's, you know why people aren't noticing us? You don't see this distinctive? We don't love each other. When, when John, the, the gospel writer, is writing in 1 John 4.20, he says, listen, um, how do you think that you can love the God in heaven who you haven't seen? if you can't even love the brothers and sisters who you have seen. And, and then they came to Jesus and said, well, you know, what's the big commandment? What's, like, what's the big gazanga? What's, the, what's, the, what's it? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul, body, and love your neighbors yourself. Tie them together. He said, if you do that, you've got all the other commands wrapped up. So let me ask you something when we're talking about commands. How many people in your life do you think God would be okay if you murdered? We're like, oh, shot, don't please, come on. There's no dispensation for murdering. Well, what about how, how many adulterous affairs can you have? How, when God says don't commit adultery, would he be okay with like two or three, a couple in your life, no big deal? Well, if he takes the greatest command is to love God and to love your neighbors as yourself, how many people do you think you can't love? You're not, you know, what do you think? I think it's zero. So if you got something going on in here about love, you got to fix it. And you can fix it. Because that's what Christ died on the cross to enable us to do and to be. So let me wrap this up. Those who are full in Christ can serve lovingly. 
Those who are empty medicate themselves. So I say, keep walking in the Spirit, otherwise you will keep trying to fill your emptiness. In just a moment, we're going to go to the table of the Lord together. I want to say something to you, though, this morning. As we were talking about this, surely there were things popping in your mind about relational tension and lack of love, and I'm not sure I like that person. I, don't, I got something with that person. I got something with that person. This is a command of God that our distinctive is that we love each other. We love each other like we love ourselves. We want for each other what we want for ourselves. And I'm going to say to you that as we go to this communion table in in a moment, it is our outward demonstration of our inner agreement and commitment to the reality of Jesus Christ and all that he wants for us. And I'm saying to you this morning that if you are not prepared to live out these commands, then don't take the elements of this communion service. And the reason I'm being so particular about this is this. If there is nothing in your heart that grabs you about this and reaches you and forces you and pushes you and demands and desires of you that you love one another and that you're willing to, you're willing to repent, you're willing to repair, you're willing to do this, then I'm going to say this. I don't believe Christ lives in you. I don't believe it. And if Christ doesn't live in you, you shouldn't be participating in a communion service that says Christ is living in you. Now, I, I'm saying that we're, we're here at, at the mercy of God this morning. He invites us by his mercy to repent and make changes in our lives. And if, you're, if your heart is inclined to change, 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 I've got to live differently, Lord, and I will. I, by your power, by your strength, I will love the brothers and sisters here in this church, and I will love my neighbors as myself. I'll, I'll, I'm going to, by your strength, make those committed changes. Then come and make a, a reaffirming your commitment to Christ at the table of the Lord. You feel nothing to this? Don't bring damnation to yourself, compounding it by taking the elements of communion. Our Father, let's stand together. Our Father, don't use your freedom for you. Use it to love me and to love Pastor Dwayne, to love Deacon Scott and Deacon Neil, Deacon Don and Deacon Todd. Deacon Chris and Deacon Jeff and Deacon Steve and Deacon Paul and the person beside you on both sides. This is freedom. This is freedom. To be able to love like Christ loves. Amen? Amen. Our Father and our God, it's been good to be with you this morning. To be with God's people. To understand what you require of us. To know what pleases you but to know in our heart of hearts that we couldn't do this in our own strength, not a bit. This is a gift of God, the new covenant, written by the signature of Christ's blood in our hearts. Thank you, Father, for what you've done for us. We love you. We love you with every remembrance of what Christ has done for us. Now, enable us, empower us, strengthen us, Lord, to clothe ourselves with Christ. We belong to him. Let us live for him, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.